I think that's a construct, right? Like that is our thinking of how to group a whole slew of countries together. Um, but to these individual countries, EMEA does not exist. Um, so you have to make it hyper-local. Wow. Adam, just wow. I am, I am in so much, I, I'm just in awe of Tierra Christian, head of EMEA social media PR at Google. She was fabulous today. This whole episode is packed with amazing insights and advice. There are so many levels, Anna, that we, we kind of hit on this. Uh, we we talk uh, kind of the importance of, of, of cultural messaging. We talk about how you navigate a great company. We talk about the, the benefits of a company like Google that have allowed uh, Tiara to, to move uh, literally around the world as she was recording this uh, from London. But what she said there, I think, is, is something that we can all take to point. And that is this idea that there is no EMEA, so to speak, which is part of, 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 of her job description. Hyperlocal means really getting down to, to that individual level and making sure every post, every update is relevant from a language standpoint, but also that cultural side. And it's oftentimes, it's easy for us to, to forget that. And the engagement has to go that way too. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, we talk about as an industry, as a collective industry, hyper-local and the importance of being user-focused and the importance of really making that one-to-one connection and not being a broadcast. And Tara really hits on all of that in the right ways today and helps us understand and unpack exactly what that means on a massive scale like like Google. Mm Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a it's a great it's a great episode. And I hope everybody has their pencils sharpened because you will be taking some notes. Absolutely. But before we get into our fabulous interview with Tara, we want to let you know about an amazing report from our fantastic friends at Salesforce. Right now, you can download the sixth edition of the State of Marketing Report from Salesforce, which presents the insights of nearly 7,000 marketing leaders across the globe. Their research highlights the strategic priorities, challenges, and technologies that transform the profession. And these insights are especially important to consider as we're all trying to go from crisis mode to back to work to growth. So download your free copy today at bit.ly slash new marketing report. Again, that's bit.ly forward slash new marketing report, all lowercase. We also wanted to give a special shout out to Upfluence, an all-in-one influencer marketing platform with all the tools you need to take your influencer campaigns to the next level. One of the biggest areas we see with our clients at Convince and Convert asking about in 2021 so far is influencer marketing. If you are even remotely thinking about including influencer marketing in your mix this year, you need to check out their recently released brand influence ranking report. This report is phenomenal. You'll get exclusive insights into the social performance of some of the biggest brands and uncover their influencer marketing strategy with data on their top performing influencers and social content. This report is a must read and you can grab it at bit.ly slash brand influence ranking. That URL is bit.ly slash brand influence ranking, all lowercase. And finally, if you've been listening to Social Pros for quite some time, you may have heard Jay say, we're surrounded by data 
but starved for insights. And that is absolutely still true today. You can spend days finding and sorting data points, but then not have the resources remaining to actually analyze those data points. And that's exactly where Jay and the Convince and Convert team love Supermetrics because Supermetrics makes it seriously easy to pull all of your social media data automatically into great looking dashboards. And who doesn't love great looking social media dashboards? With Supermetrics, instead of spending hours gathering data from different social media channels, you can automate the tedious process and focus on what really matters, analyzing and optimizing your campaigns. As a bonus, Jay and the Convincing Convert team worked with Supermetrics to create a social media metrics template for you to download and start your 14-day trial of Supermetrics. Get the template and start your 14-day free trial at supermetrics.com slash social dash pros. That's supermetrics.com slash social dash pros. Now, let's bring in Tiara Christian, head of EMEA social media and PR at Google to chat on this week's episode of Social Pros. Tiara Christian, head of EMEA social media and PR for that little company called Google. It is so great to have you on the show. Tiara, one of the things that I, I was so blown away with you. We, we had a little bit of a conversation before and, you, and we had some show notes. You said something that really resonated with me. I'm going to read it to you. You said people want Google to feel relevant in their lives by representing local communities and highlighting personal interest and our own local handles are best to do that. I think that is a powerful statement, especially for an organization as large as Google. Tell our listeners a little bit about kind of what you do and kind of how you balance that that local messaging with the global juggernaut that is your employer, Google. Yes, definitely. And thank you both for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I oversee all the social activity across Europe. Middle, the Middle East and Africa. Um, and we are split up quite differently from some of our other uh, international colleagues. So in EMEA, there's about a little over 35 countries that we're working with. A lot of them have social handles. So we're often fo- like we're often tasked with making sure that anything that is global, whether it is a big announcement or a moment or an event, it has to feel really local for people in the region to feel like Google relates to them. Because if you think about it, Google is massive and we have a ton of products and we have a ton of people. Um, But what we've learned and what data shows is that when it's hyper local, that's when people actually care and when they stop and listen. And we're thinking about with social is how do we make people stop scrolling? That's like the constant um, drumbeat that you often hear. But we have to make people stop scrolling by making sure it's super relevant to them. Um, So that's it's a huge difference between sharing something that's global and then just translating to different languages. But what are those cultural nuances that we in each of the countries can pull into that messaging to make sure that it really lands? So I'm focused on making, you know, bringing lo- building local love through social media in a massive region, but also a lot of training to make sure that everyone in the region um, sees the value in social. That's still something that even internally we are thinking through. Um, so a lot of training there. And of course, on the big moments that we often have 
such as made by Google or IO or even Can that's happening, I really jump in and work on the strategy from start to finish. So it is a multifaceted role with a lot of different stakeholders, but it's exciting. And I think that we're one of the most dynamic and diverse regions um, because of our scale. So I'm always thinking about scale as well. Like, how can I make one thing and get it out to all the teams so that they can add their own personal um, touches on the content? So going back to, there's so much amazing stuff that I want to unpack there, but I think the first thing that I would love to know is going back to what you said about Google being so massive and so huge, but really needing to localize all of this content and localize the strategy. Where do you even start? I mean, to me, even just thinking about that, it feels like you have to boil the ocean, but obviously you have a much better approach than trying to boil the ocean. So how do you even begin to go down that right path? Great question. Um, I often start with what is the overarching goal within the company? We all know our main goals that we want to hit, whether it is on the reputation side of things or if it's awareness of all the initiatives that we do. Because if you think of the average consumer, they likely know about our big things such as like search or Google Maps and Drive and Gmail. Um, But how do we make sure that they know that we are sustainable um, and that we care a lot about making sure that growing economies have everything they need to perform well in the digital world? So it is a big, um, it is a big ask. But I focus on understanding what's that overarching goal. And then I've worked with all the country teams to train them up on social to make sure that they know what to identify and how do we go about it. And then I encourage each team to make sure that in Google Russia, you know exactly your audience and how to work with them and what to speak to them about that actually engages them. So each team, although there's that overarching strategy um, and the goals, they know that how am I going to tailor this for Italy or South Africa or any other country that we work with? And I think that's the beauty of it. We have that um, we have teams in place to be able to account for those nuances and the cultural differences that really make it exciting. I think one of the things that's got to be interesting about Google and, and, and we've, we've noted this, the size of Google, but you sit kind of at a, a layer that probably most organizations don't have. You've got the you've got the entire corporate all of Google, you know, mm-hmm. social media folks. You've got the people as you said in country and you're sitting there kind of in the middle. Right. So my question is what does that look like? And and I'm going to in, in two ways. What does that look like for the kind of the big picture campaigns where everything mm-hmm. is scheduled and coordinated and how do you kind of get things approved? But I would also assume you're also dealing with what I would call pop-up programming. Either it's an issues or a crisis, or there's something you need to respond to or engage with. How do you orchestrate this at so many different levels and layers in, in a company as big as yours? Yeah, you detailed it so well. <laughs> so thank you. So yes, I am on the central team and the central team, we are a group of specialists and ideally consultants. We consult all the different countries, um, and we consult our cross-functional partners to make sure that in PR, we are able to do exactly what we need to do um, to bring more attention to a lot of the activities, to work with different stakeholders internally and externally. Um, So it is a lot of coordinating cross-functionally. I work very closely with our marketing counterparts because if you think about it, marketing in PR, I'm always pushing the agenda that we need to be working really closely together, right? Because marketing has very specific functions, including content. And PR is really great about getting that scale and getting eyes on whatever the message is um, from a press side of things. So I'm focused on that. And it's really about distilling, again, what 
the overall goals are for, so say, those big moments. Um, I think CAN is one that's coming up. What is the overall goal for CAN? How there's already a ton of different teams and initiatives that are happening just for that one week. But once we understand that, I'll be working on the overall strategy on social and then making sure that there are moments where the local teams and, you know, the country teams are able to participate. So a lot of what I do is focus on the overall strategy. And then I have to leave space for that the fluctuation between teams because it's going to look very different in Italy than it would um in Poland, for instance, it's going to look extremely different, but making sure that they all have the right tools and resources. So when I put my strategy together, I always make sure that there are at least three to four different levers that each of the country teams can choose that will still get us to that end goal of mass awareness and engagement. Um, so it's always building in those what if factors um, for each of the teams. So speaking of campaigns, you had mentioned CAN. Um, there's a lot of campaigns that you have been a part of. And one in particular that I think is really cool that actually went viral at the end of 2019 was the Jennifer Lopez's iconic dress um, at Milan Fashion Week. I'd love if you could unpack that, tell the audiences a little bit about that um, and how you were able to basically make that come to life and, and really um, get involved with that. Yeah, that was a really exciting one. And that was one of the campaigns that were, it came really quickly. Because um, oftentimes you would want to think that all of them are beautifully planned and well executed. No, executed. No, this was a campaign where it literally came up three days um, before it was getting right. Yes, I think it was about three days. Three days. Three wow. days to a week before it was going to happen at um, Milan Fashion Week. And our amazing Italian PR team, they came to me and said, okay, this is what's going to happen. We are, you know, we're working with the Google Assistant to share all about these searches that have been happening for that iconic Versace dress. Um, and we're going to share it at Fashion Week and we need a social strategy. And I'm like, okay. And mind you, I had just joined the team in May of 2019. So still getting ramped up in the role, trying to understand what's going on and what, what am I even doing? And then um, this kind of falls into my inbox and I'm like, okay, let's figure this out. So really a lot of the content or the social activity that we have in region, it's organic. So we were able to go viral organically. And that was really, that was the exciting piece for me. Cause I often think within um, social organic doesn't get a lot of love. And, you know, I think it needs to be both, right? It has to be paid and organic because what's going to keep people going, what's going to be not filler content, but what's, what is going to be the in-between messaging that people can always refer to. And the question is, do you really make sure that every single thing is paid? So anyways, um, that came on my desk and I was really focused on like, okay, if this is going to be social first, we need to make sure that our largest handles, regardless of the location, that they are engaged and also our local handles are engaged. So when I think about from a central EMEA POV, I'm thinking about, okay, what are the global handles that have the highest reach um, and that already have a dedicated gluten audience? That's going to be our main OG handle, as Anna said from your previous session. That's going to be the OG handles and also on YouTube, too. And then our Google Assistant and our search handle. So making sure that all of those global counterparts are in the know about what's going to happen. I got to work on what is going to be the key Instagram stories and also the content that's going to go out from these official handles to make sure that everybody's aware of it when it drops. And when we share, oh, and also making sure, of course, our partners are involved. So making sure Versace's team had the same content and they were ready to go, as well as JLo's team. And from all of us being able to share that across 
several really big handles, it turned into this kind of viral train of, oh my goodness, J-Lo in the dress are back. And it went viral unexpectedly, but it was really nice. And I think um, we were able to do that, just the timeliness. <laughs> it really was just jumping on it. Not everything is planned that way. The fact that you can do that in three days was was, <laughs> was, was, was crazy. Tierra, I mean, you, mit- you mentioned something there and you said it as almost a throwaway line. Uh, and it, it, it hit me like a freight train because I want, I want, I'm going to double click on it. And that is, you mentioned, uh, you know, you're talking about the Milan Fashion Week. And you said, yeah, and there's a lot of search traffic on that. And I immediately realized the treasure trove of data mm. that you, as head of EMEA Social Media and PR, are sitting on that so many of our social pros listeners wished they had. You have more data on trending, on zeitgeist, on what is happening. So my question is, how do you use, or if if you use, I'm assuming you do, how do you use all that rich data that you have inside of the Google ecosystem Mm -hmm. to make you a smarter communicator, social media pro, and public relations practitioner? That's an amazing question. And thank you for catching that, because you're right. It was like a throwaway comment. Um, So we typically use the data in YouTube, um, on YouTube activities, and also on Google search. It's super helpful to know what people are engaging with most. In the same locations or platforms that the most users have, we look at Google Trends. Um, Or I can go straight to the Trends team and ask them for like a broader search. But um, we use the data often. And really, I'm looking at the data to understand what do people care about the most? And then how do we, you know, adversely put in our messaging, right? Because I think oftentimes brands want to be, this is what we've focused on, our message first. And when we're really trying to push for engagement and we're trying to grow a following and we want authentic people that are true advocates of the brand, we need to step, take a step back and really understand what they care about. So I'm always interested in knowing over the, we did something that was quite cool actually, um, I want to say the end of last year, where we looked at all of the top trending things that were happening because we were seeing a lot of fatigue across social, especially like with social media. People, you know, it went up in waves. People were super excited when it first happened and then people were so tired of all the ongoing content. So we wanted to, it was called breaking good news because there was a lot of horrible news happening last year. What's that little insight or that good news that we can see in each of the countries? So we worked with about seven country teams in our awesome brand studio, which is like an internal design house within Google. Um, And we worked with the brand studio team and the trends team to really pull what are those little nuggets of just bright spots? Like what's the happiness pill that we can find in all of this data? And we found amazing things like in, um, I think it was in Spain, people were starting to make more, was it empanadas? That's not typically Spanish um, for like, you know, European Spain. So we found all these different bright spots. And I think those are the moments because we want to inform with all of our products and our messaging, but we also want to make sure that we're delighting the user and we're sharing some things that they may not know. So when we think about the year in search that comes out at the end of the year, every year, that is another key tentpole moment where we can go back and say the whole year, these are the top things that people were thinking about. And then we're able to further flush down that data and localize it. So it is, again, hyper local for each country. That's when we really see the magic of like Google in action, because each country feels like, um, you know, Google is here. They're spotlighting us. And if we can then share it on our global handles and work with different influencers, um, it's a lot of like just brand love going around. And I love to do those things. So I typically use the data for cultural moments versus some of our big tent poles because we already know that in, in advance. 
One of the things that I am absolutely awestruck by with you is as you were talking about these amazing campaigns and doing the Milan Fashion Week campaign in three days and doing these hyper-local, you know, feel-good stories and breaking good news, is that even as massive as Google is, and you are working with 35 plus PR marketing executive teams across EMEA, on the social side, you are a small but mighty team of one. Yes. <laughs> How? How do you do it? This is, I am, I think people don't realize, especially after listening to our conversation so far, that it is you. So how do you do this in a day? Man, that is such a great question. And um, thank you for reminding me. So I have luckily the support from everyone within my immediate team. So that's from my direct manager to my VP. Like everyone has given room to allow for us to focus on social and like I'm sure you all imagine and know that like during the lockdown, the focus on social internally has increased or skyrocketed to a crazy degree. So ways ways that I've been able to do that, I have an agency team, they're called Batten Hall and they're based in London and they are my right hand. They've been with us for about five or six years. They know the ins and outs of the company and I really trust my agency. And I think I've come from the other side of things where I was a partner to big clients before it within Google. And I know the difference when you are, you know, your agency are truly your partners and when you are seen as just a, a nice add-on. So I really treat my agency as partners because I am a team of one. I need them. Um, but also the way that I've been able to get much scale is like I have made it a focus to really train people on social media because you can imagine I'm working with a lot of traditional PR folks. Um, and even on the marketing side, the, the scale of uh, focus on social is growing within EMEA. So it's not as positioned or as um, seasoned as the U.S. So that requires a lot of training on all fronts. So I'm able to, I host a ton of workshops. I try to bring people on board because ideally it's like, my time, I need to focus on the big moments and I also need to focus on the scalable moments that I can work with the local teams on. But all the other activity that happens around me without me touching it, that's because I've worked with the teams and some of them are amazing and super savvy. Um, but if I'm able to train 19 out of this group of people um, to do social really well, then people start coming to them for more of those things. And then we can get bigger and we can be more advanced. But I do have to be mindful that um, I am a team of one. So I can't touch everybody all the time. But if I can put the right people and the resources in place, then I can take a step back and really jump in when it's absolutely necessary. And, you know, we still see magic. So it's quite nice. That's fantastic. In, in, in terms of going back to your agency that you work with, it sounds like, you know, even as you mentioned, it's a really, really fabulous working relationship. What is even just one piece of advice you would give to agencies who are supporting big clients? Like how have, and even coming from the agency side yourself, um, how can they best support their clients and really, truly support them during these times? Definitely. Um, I think it's really about knowing the business and understanding how they work. And I've told my agency when we first, when I first came on board, I was like, okay, I'm figuring things out. And I'm, I'm just pretty transparent. Like I'm figuring out exactly what I'm doing in this role, but also the way that we work and what's in my control and what's outside of my control and where I need you to be flexible. So being like very open with communication from the start really helps set expectations across the board. And also, um, my agency, they are really great at being proactive. I'm always looking for, when I'm onboarding teams for a project 
or just thinking of people to work with. I need people that are proactive because there's a number of things happening all the time. My inbox is always quite crazy. Um, if you are proactive and you you know what I'm looking for, you can come to me with sound advice. I really appreciate that because as a team of one, um, when I was telling you, you know, off line before was I love to geek out with people about this because there's not that many that I have. So if they can be the, you know, my partners where uh, we can exchange creative ideas and really brainstorm, then that just makes everything much better because I trust that you understand my vision and that you were going to come back to me with valuable advice and possibilities really. And I think that's one of the things interesting about social is it, it is now taking more of a village than ever before yeah. and having that support of an agency, having that support of other parts of the organization is, is so critical as, as, again, social continues to permeate all aspects of, of a business, in, including Google. And, 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 and Tierra, that kind of gets to my, my next question mm-hmm. as a team of one. Uh, obviously you're not doing everything and we've talked about your agency. We've talked about how you have these trends and analytics teams in, inside of Google. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, kind of when you look at the three legs of the social stool, listening, publishing and engagement, how how those are kind of handled um, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of different parts. Obviously, publishing and, and the content creation, that is that is certainly firmly in your wheelhouse. And we talked a little bit about listening engagement to the posts and the updates that that you are sharing and your your people in country are are sharing how does that engagement and response system work inside of google great question um so within google engagement it really depends so there are some teams that have a full community management team built out um and this is primarily for specific orgs within the company but say for the countries, it is. it depends. Our priority countries or the top countries, the largest in this case, um, they may have community engagement. This is an area where we're still growing. Um, and it really goes back to making sure that we're tapping into a user first mindset versus a brand first mindset. And I think we're moving more to that direction. Um but we're still we're still new. We're not there yet. And I know that like it is a bit of um, it can be a bit of a downer to the users and the followers. But when we do see all the teams are aware to look at those different moments where you see something that kind of pops and make sure that you share that you scale that. And another way that we do engage is um, we're mindful about all of our different partners outside of influencers. Like we definitely partner with them all the time and they're fantastic. But on a smaller scale, we have thing, people for, say, Google Maps, our local guides. And local guides are basically the people that are in Maps giving all the little tips and the routes. And they are literally Google Maps ambassadors. And it's fascinating to like understand how they work, what they care about, and the value that they bring to the Google Maps platform and also the community. So can we tap into them? Can we engage them? Because if we're still thinking user first, we want to make sure that we're not just commenting on things that help benefit us. But can we spotlight these local guys? Can we spotlight the small businesses? And that is our way of doing like micro engagements, I would say. Um, but yes, we definitely need to be working towards more of a, you know, richer community management um, structure. 
I'm curious about those kind of micro engagements and your your champions and ambassadors that mm-hmm. that you have for for all of your products and probably too. And this is something that that I saw at, at my time at, at Coca Cola and at Dell. What we call determined detractors, you know, people who aren't keen on uh, on your brand too much. Mm-hmm. Are there any specific things that you're doing with your champions and perhaps even your detractors, you know, to to kind of continue that that sense of uh, ambassadorship and enthusiasm? Because you're you're so right, and that's such a hallmark of public relations. It's not about what what you uh, a Google person says about Google. It's what these you know second and third parties are, are saying about it. Any any advice or, or, or recommendations on how do you deal with with those champions? Definitely. So within most of our orgs, I'll use Google Maps as an easy example. We are able to identify and incentivize um, the local guides. So if it's like a proper program. So if you're in the local guides program and you start to get your points up, I know even some members of my team, they're like really on it and they're aggressive. They want to be number one. It's quite funny, um, but they get points and they get to you know be involved in different events that we have. And we may give gifts when new things come out. Um, so it definitely benefits both parties for making sure that you're engaged. But I think for anyone that is thinking about how do you engage these folks that are not quite proper influencers, but they really do care about your product and they are basically your advocates, make sure that you have a program and a way to constantly touch base with them because, you know, they showed interest without being prompted to. And I think that's something really special that you don't want to lose. And you want, those are the kind of advocates that you all want, right? So when you're able to identify them, make sure that you're touching base because the same way that they are talking about the new features, they want to know what's coming next because they're just naturally um, interested. And I think that's a special uh, sweet spot. And many of our teams are working with those people. And then later on, we can get into the more broader community management. I love that you've almost gamified some of the the advocacy as well. Like it's something that they want to participate in, but you've just kind of leveled it up and made it even more fun to encourage even more content, which I think, again, going back is, you know, you mentioned that almost in passing, but it's such a key element to keeping people engaged and in keeping them going. I love that you've been able to do that. Definitely. And you want to show them that you care, right? Because although, you know, I think we've said it and a few people have said it, we're huge. Um, We, as Googlers, we have, you know, we're in a position to make it feel very local because at the end of the day, we're still people and we know what actually gauges our interest and what we would love to experience, right? So just kind of turning that view on, okay, these, you know, we have these folks that are just genuinely interested, that's amazing. And that a lot of it has been done for us. So how do we just make sure that we show our appreciation and really it's a thank you. Um, so those little micro communities, web developers and the local guides and even our YouTubers, like we always want to make sure that um, they just know we care and they get first views on certain things. So it definitely benefits to be a part of it. As we kind of talk about Google and, and I think Google, at least for me, is kind of one of those companies that seems almost magical um, in, in so many different ways. And, and every company has good things and bad things about it. But gosh, I mean, Google is that you've been there for several years. And I'm curious kind of what it's like working in a, in a big company. And, and as we record this, you are you're based in London. It, it, a couple of years ago, you were based in uh, Google's offices in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. I'm curious kind of what Google has been able to enable you to do, being able to, to move literally around the world uh, in, in different departments and different disciplines. And also curious, 
How's it been working at Google during the pandemic and working remotely? Is is that been easier or 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 more difficult in your opinion because it's Google? Great questions. Um, first, work how they there was a lot. They enabled me to move. Um, I think that's a special thing. And like I was in, I lived in London back in 2012 and 13. And I knew from that moment that I wanted to move back to Europe. But if you, if anyone has ever tried to live, move out of the country, it is incredibly hard. Um, it is just, it's a whole feat. It is a process. It's a production basically. And I've been trying. That isn't easy. Yeah. Right. It's not easy. So I've been trying for eight years to get there. And then one thing that I really appreciate about Google is like, they actually encourage many Googlers to work in different offices and get that international experience. So when an opportunity comes up, it was so smooth once I got, you know, went through the interviews again, because I think, I don't know, maybe I didn't expect to go through many interviews once you're in, but you do. Um, so got went through the interviews again and I got my offer. The, it, they made it seamless and they took care of a lot of things, which is amazing. And I don't think that I would have had the opportunity to live here and work here at the capacity that I am without it. So I really do appreciate the company for that. And one thing that I've heard in the halls is um, the average Googler that's been here for maybe like 10 years or so. They've likely lived and worked in two to three different countries. And I think that's great. Um, and when we think of companies that we want to work for, depending on what you want, I knew that I wanted a company that would encourage me to live somewhere else. I think a lot of it's online and you see it, but once you get in, it takes hell and high water to get, <laughs> to get, you know, out of the U S but they made it quite smooth and working at Google during the pandemic. Um, honestly, I would say it was quite seamless again. Like, yes, it's very odd to always be on a video call. Um, and the video calls really took place of all that in between time where you were like shuffling into those different offices. So imagine way more uh, meetings, but they've made it very comfortable. Like we get wellness packages. And one thing that kind of came to mind to me was during the pandemic, Googlers did not stop, right? Like we have not skipped a beat because a lot of the different teams, including our teams, working with governments, trying to make sure that on search, you know about COVID, you know, testing and, you know, different vaccine sites and making sure that we know the numbers and, you know, we're working with all these governments and, you know, hospitals um, in the health industry. So we just continue straight through. So a wellness has been a huge uh, focus within the company and they've made sure that we are comfortable um, both with the right settings and seating or different screens. Yeah. So we're pretty taken care of and um, just working at Google in general, I think it's a fascinating place. I will say my colleagues are brilliant and they're funny and they're so like many of them are so down to earth Um and they come from very weird backgrounds, which I love. Like you may meet somebody that was like a, a ballerina and now they're like a data scientist and it's out of control, but I really love it. I feel like I am constantly um, mentally stimulated often. And that's something that I know I will always like just have these gems of all these different uh, talking points that people have dropped here. It's quite nice. That's, um, that's amazing. I, I agree. I, I think especially for what you do and being so ingrained with EMEA and working with, again, 35 plus uh, PR marketing executive teams across Europe, the Middle East and Africa, 
being a team of one and really just being ingrained in different cultures. And, and it's so much different than living and working in America and trying to do international than if you're actually there, you know what's happening, you get a different perspective because of course, you know, even, even being here and trying to be as internationally minded as possible, you're still going to get it through an American filter. So mm -hmm. I, I love that you're able to be there. Google is able to put you there and you're really able to make a difference with the EMEA teams. Definitely. And, and I think to that point, I'm curious, uh, we're going to get to the big two here in a second. And, and, and Anna's going to ask you that your one piece of advice, but I'm specifically, I'm curious, here you are working in an international organization and you're working with so many different cultures mm -hmm. and languages and even social platforms and, and that are that are more prolific in different parts of the world. Do you have any advice or suggestions for people perhaps who are based in the United States but are trying to find a way to interact and engage with with customers, with audiences, with constituents mm -hmm. in other parts of the world? Definitely. Um, one thing that was just stunningly clear um, when I first came over is that a lot of our messaging, although intended to be global, it was still from that U.S. perspective because Google is, you know, it's based in California, global company, but huge U.S. presence. And, you know, you don't see it as an American um, at first. And then you're like, wait a minute, I can, I get it now. You know, when you're in these meetings and, you know, something that came through and they're talking about, P, you know, PST time that doesn't relate to Russia and they don't want to hear it, to be quite honest. Um, so for me, a lot of it or what I would recommend is if it's truly global, make sure you're working with those global teams because what they're going to need to do is to make sure that they localize it, um, you know, both translating and also culturally. There are cultural differences of what we say and how we deliver messages and what people get excited about is completely different. So being mindful and really partnering with your international colleagues is going to be my best advice to give because oftentimes if I'm working on a global campaign, we don't want the rest of the co the company or even the rest of the countries that we operate in to feel as an afterthought. Oh, let's just throw in another, you know, let's just throw in another country or city. No, it should be really well thought out. Um, and if it's truly global, accounting for all of those cultural nuances um, is going to be key. And hyper relevancy is the way to go in regions where there are tons of different countries. Um, and none of my countries work the same. So even in my role, when I was thinking of EMEA wide, like let me do an EMEA wide campaign, I can do that. But if I'm not leaving space for each of the countries to um, authentically fit, or to, you know, make it their own, then it's not, there is no EMEA. I think that's a construct, right? Like that is our thinking of how to group a whole slew of countries together. Um, but to these individual countries, EMEA does not exist. Um, so you have to make it hyper-local. And that, I mean, that would be my best advice. And then you'll start to see traction, I'm pretty sure. Love it. I um, love that piece of advice. I'm also curious as we jump into the big two, what your advice would be to anybody who's looking to become a social pro. Hmm. My advice, this may be a simple one, but I really feel very strongly about the user first mindset because social is something that is so personal. So whether you are sharing B2B or corp news or anything else or health, um, 
it is a personal choice to engage with these brands on social. So you need to cut through and that needs to be on the look, the feel um, and the content. And if it's relevant, if it feels like, oh, you know, this is familiar. If you think about the things that go viral, usually they're shocking and beautiful or they're highly relatable. Right. So if it's something that you can relate to people and the users, I think that you will see it in return. It's a give and take relationship. And a lot of times what I'm always talking to teams about, you know, it's not a one way broadcast. We have the responsibility of these handles and all these people that follow us. How do we make sure that we're giving them something so then in turn they can give us their shares and their likes and their comments? Um, So I would look at it as a mutually beneficial relationship. And when you operate and you address things that way, then you're able to really see like the magic of social and people really do want to be advocates for you. It's just how do you, what do you, what do you give them? Like what, what, what's the value for them? What's the value exchange? Love that. Especially, you know, we've, we've talked about user focused and user centric for so long, but to your point, there is still so much of that one way broadcast going on. So love how you broke that down about how to really be much more user focused. All right. For the second question of the big two, if you could have a video call with any living person today, who would it be and why? Oh, living. Okay. Great question. This is probably going to be too <laughs> too generic, but I am really, really fascinated by um, Barack Obama. Like he has done a lot and just the position that he was in to be the first um, and to leave the legacy that he did and then to be followed. I think he just has so much to share, whether it's about achieving goals through adversity or possibly restraint. Um, I think that he can teach a lot and I'm really curious to pick his brain. So I would say he's a top living person. I don't think that's generic at all. I would love <laughs> to worm my way into that conversation. But interestingly enough, you actually met Michelle Obama. Ah, no, I didn't get to meet her, unfortunately. Oh, I so thought you we, did. No, we actually, um, we had this huge internal conference for women of color in the workplace um, as one of our key diversity uh, goals for the year. And I was asked to be a speaker and last minute, we found out that Michelle Obama was a speaker and I was like, oh my gosh. And she viewed the whole thing and yes. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this is amazing. So yes, I was in no a- No pressure, no pressure at all. No pressure, right? but you know what? I'm actually glad that the team didn't tell us beforehand because I probably would have been a nervous wreck. But um, no, we were in this conference and it was viewed by over, I think 20,000 of us, uh, Googlers. And it was both the most diverse conference I've ever, you know, been in and the most inclusive conference. And that was 100% intentional, which is amazing. But to have her come and, you know, just share real talk. And that's why I said Obama, because, you know, speaking with, not speaking with, listening to his wife was amazing. And imagine when you kind of, you know, you're not in the spotlight in a way where, you can just have open, natural dialogue. It was beautiful. Um, so that was my, the closest that I've gotten um, outside of going to, I don't know, maybe like a rally or something like that. But that was a moment. And I will That's always remember that. That's huge. That's huge. I feel like maybe you could leverage those connections somehow, like find a connection in there to, to get that video call. Growing up like close, you know, in the DC area, I'm sure that I can find somebody that's close to her. <laughs> no stop well, talking. Well, I hope that video call happens soon. In the meantime, Tara, Christian, 
head of EMEA social media PR at Google. Thank you so much for being with us today. I This has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real treat to be here. And I just, I love all the different sessions that you guys host. So thank you for the opportunity. Everybody else, thank you so much for joining in. We hope you sincerely enjoyed this episode as much as we have. Um, do us all a favor. Go ahead. If you're not already following Google, go follow all the amazing things that Tiara Christian is doing and see what she's doing. Uh, take a page from all of her amazing work. And also in the meantime, go ahead and leave us Social Pros Podcast a review. Leave us some comments and some feedback if you liked what you heard today. We always love hearing your feedback as well. Until next time, this is Anna Harak from Convince and Convert on behalf of Adam Brown from Salesforce. Thank you so much once again for tuning in to what we hope is your favorite podcast ever, Social Pros. Social Pros.